Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Charts with Dan as we head toward the Christmas week at the box office starting this weekend and going into next week. It is a very exciting time usually, although we'll see how the films perform in the next several days. But before we get to that, let's look at this past weekend, which saw a strong opening for Warner Brothers Wonka, starring Timothy Chalamet as Willy Wonka. It opened to just over $39 million. The movie was reportedly made for a budget around $100 million, maybe a little bit above. And we'll look at its worldwide numbers thus far. This is a solid start for Wonka. Keep in mind that starting really this weekend and going through New Year's, the weekend numbers, quote-unquote, don't really matter as much because the viewing window is lengthened. You basically have people going to the movies all during these next couple weeks, especially next week where Christmas and the day after Christmas fall on a weekday. So I'd say this is a really solid start, and Wonka's got a lot of potential this holiday season to really surprise a lot of people, including myself. I think it could do very well over this holiday window. We'll see what happens. One thing that it can already lay claim to is the best opening ever for director Paul King, who also brought us Paddington and Paddington 2. It already domestically, just after that three-day opening, is at about half of the domestic total for the first Paddington movie, and it's almost equal the domestic total for Paddington 2. That's right, Paddington 2, that awesome movie that was so good, did not do well here domestically, and Wonka's almost matched the total in just three days. Hopefully this will get more people to watch the Paddington movies because they're so good. In second place still is The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, which is proving to be a very leggy movie after its opening right around Thanksgiving. It dropped 37.4% from last weekend for a $5.8 million total. It now has a domestic total approaching $150 million. We're going to break down that movie a bit more in a minute. The Boy and the Heron is in third place. It takes a 57.6% drop. That's pretty steep. It's not exactly what you would see for a family film, so this seems a little more front-loaded, and I think that it's a bit of a divisive movie as well. $5.5 million in its second weekend, a domestic total now at $23.4 million. Godzilla Minus One still hanging around the top five. It dropped just 41.3% in its third weekend. It banked another $5 million for a $34.4 million total. And I've seen some people asking in the comments, etc., why I keep talking about how well Godzilla Minus One is doing and why others have said it's doing so well. When you contrast it to the legendary Godzilla films, which made much, much more money, and it really just kind of goes down to budget and what you would expect a movie like this to do in the domestic marketplace. The legendary Godzilla Godzilla films, 2014's Godzilla, Godzilla King of the Monsters, Godzilla vs. Kong, all had budgets that were in the $100 million plus range. They all had multi-million dollar studio ad spends. They had Hollywood stars in them. The expectations for them were so different. Here with Godzilla Minus One, you have a low budget film, and I talked about the budget on last week's show. The marketing isn't anywhere near what you would see with a big studio release. And a big thing to look at with this movie is the return on investment. The budget was right around 2 billion yen, if we're not looking at it in dollars. If we instead look at it by how much money was spent on it in Japan where the movie was made, 
Of that 2 billion yen budget, it's made about 4.8, 4.9 billion yen in the US alone, and it's made about 8 billion yen worldwide, which means that it has already returned about four times its budget. That's higher than Godzilla King of the Monsters, which returned about two and a half times its budget. Godzilla versus Kong returned about three times its budget. The first Godzilla, 2014's Godzilla, or at least the first one from Legendary, was a little under three and a half times its budget. So as far as return on investment, Godzilla Minus One is doing incredibly well and better on that metric than the legendary films. So on a cost to return basis, this is an incredibly successful film. And it's one of the reasons that I like to do this show because you can't just say, okay, Godzilla, Godzilla. Uh, and compare the two uh, because they're in different leagues as far as budget, uh, as far as how a, a studio English language film does here domestically versus an international uh, non-English language film. And Godzilla Minus One really is one of those movies. Yes, it's not casting as wide a net as a big studio release, but it is still doing things that we rarely see from an international film here in the domestic market. And so that is why uh, I consider Godzilla Minus One to be a huge success at the box office and really has captured an audience that we rarely see for a film of its type and size here in the US. In fifth place was Trolls Band Together, which dropped 35.1% for a total just under $4 million. It's at $88.6 million, depending on how it does over this Christmas holiday. It could very well break that $100 million mark domestically. Disney's Wish stays in sixth place. It drops 40.4% in its fourth week. It's now at just over $54.2 million. I don't think that one's gonna break $100 million. In seventh place is Christmas with the Chosen, Holy Night, which was a special fathom event. It made $2.925 million over the weekend. It also played earlier in the week. Its total is around $4.6 million for its run. This is a recut version of the show The Chosen, basically combining its pilot episode with its 2021 Christmas special, basically the Birth of Jesus special edition. In eighth place is Napoleon. In its fourth week, it dropped 45.3% for a $2.25 million total. It's now at just over $57 million domestically. Renaissance, a film by Beyonce, takes another big drop in week three. It dropped 65% for $1.9 million. It's now at just over $30 million domestically, whether it's strategy, whether it's perhaps not quite as much audience interest, or whether you just could never expect another concert movie to approach what Taylor Swift did. Renaissance has been well-received, but not as well-attended as the Eras Tour, which of course came out several weeks ago. And in 10th place is Poor Things, which expanded into a little over 80 theaters this past weekend. It's going into wider release this upcoming weekend. It had a 93.9% .9 increase in business, at over $1.28 million for the weekend. It's now at just over $2.2 million domestically. And we will see how a very odd Yorgos Lanthimos film does in the theatrical marketplace over the holidays. Three movies dropped out of the top 10 after two weeks, Animal and The Shift are gone. And after just one week, Waitress the Musical, which did extend its run, but was not back in the top 10 this weekend, also drops out of the top 10. And when we look at the movies that lost the most theaters this past weekend, that is not a typo. Oppenheimer did one last big push, although who knows, maybe after Oscar nominations, it'll do another, into about 1,200 or so theaters last weekend, but it lost most of them. It's now playing in 122 theaters and will likely wrap up its domestic run for now in the next couple weeks. Dream Scenario from May 24 dropped about 75% of its theaters. It loses 927 of them. It's now playing in 320. 23. 
Thanksgiving is still shedding theaters, but also still in wide release. It dropped 918 theaters, but still playing in 1,107. The Shift drops 832 theaters. It's still in over 1,500. And Renaissance dropped 819 theaters. It's playing in just over 1,700 theaters nationwide. The Marvels, by the way, was not in the top five, but it lost 740 theaters to drop out of wide release in its sixth weekend. It's now playing in just 960 theaters around the country. Looking at what I like to call the road to recovery, the red line there is the weekend average for 2021 and 2022. The blue line is the weekend average for the years 2015 through 2019. And the dotted black line would be the box office performances for every weekend this year. And you can see that we are still tracking well below not only where we were pre-pandemic, but where we have been the last few years. And I think that's largely because this is often a weekend where we have a big box office performer that debuts. Last year on this weekend, Avatar The Way of Water debuted. Remember, everybody said it didn't have a good opening weekend, and then it went on to play like gangbusters over the holiday season. And then the highest performing film from the years 2015 through 2019 was Star Wars The Last Jedi, which also opened on this weekend in 2017. And something important to note about this upcoming weekend, when we talk about the domestic box office, we have a few movies that are opening, Aquaman and a couple of others that we'll talk about at the end of the show. But the weekend falls on a very strange set of dates. This upcoming weekend, Friday through Sunday, is December 22nd through December 24th, which is traditionally the lowest trafficked part of theatrical attendance during the holiday season because people are traveling, they're at home with their families on Christmas Eve, etc. This was the same window that we saw back in 2017 with The Last Jedi when it dropped like 67% in the second weekend and people lost their ever-loving minds because they said that everybody hated the movie and they abandoned it. And then it went on to play really well on Monday and Tuesday, which would be Christmas Day and the day after Christmas. The reason I'm bringing this up is that it is looking like movies like Migration and Aquaman may not do great overall at the box office over the next couple weeks, but the numbers are not going to look particularly good this weekend because it is a lower attendance weekend and you're going to see a lot of henny penny the sky is falling and it is kind of for dc i'm not saying that aquaman is going to be completely redeemed by christmas and the day after and going into next week but i will say when you see those three-day weekend numbers for this upcoming weekend next monday it's not a full picture of what the holiday box office is looking like and i think i'll probably delay charts next week to maybe Tuesday or Wednesday, first of all, to accommodate some traveling that I'm doing to see family, but also because I want to be able to give you a good picture of what the box office is looking like and not just a snapshot of three low traffic days. So this happens every five or six years where the weekend preceding Christmas happens to be this sort of low traffic box office weekend. So something to keep in mind when you see the figures going forward in the next seven to 10 days. Let's look at the top five movies outside of the US and Canada. This is all markets excluding those two. Wonka again is the top film internationally at $53.6 million as it continues its rollout around the world. In second place is Endless Journey, a Chinese film about a vigilante detective. It made $20.4 million this past weekend. Then we have Wish at $12.2 million. Wolf Hiding, another Chinese film. This one about a man hunting down human traffickers at 
$11.17 million. And then the South Korean film, 12-12 the day at $10.595 million. When you take those international numbers, you combine them with our domestic weekend totals, we have the top five films worldwide. Wonka is number one. It banked about $92.6 million this past weekend worldwide, driven, of course, by that debut here in North America. A 114% increase over its first weekend last week. So again, a good start for Wonka on the world stage. Endless Journey is in second place at $20.4 million. Wish did ease fairly well as far as the worldwide box office versus last weekend. It dropped just 11.7% for a $15.3 million total. The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes is in fourth place. It dropped 39.3% for a $12.3 million total. And then Wolf Hiding rounds out the top five with 11.17 million dollars. Looking at the 2023 fall holiday box office, this is all films released post Labor Day. Taylor Swift: The Eras Tour remains number one at 179.2 million dollars. The Hunger Games: The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes is about 34, 35 million dollars behind. I'm not exactly sure it's got that much gas left in the tank as far as the holiday season, but we'll see. It's been hanging around for a while. Five Nights at Freddy's moves down one spot to number three. Trolls Band Together is at number four. It moves up one spot at $88.6 million. The Nun 2 moves down to number five. The Marvels stays at number six, followed by Killers of the Flower Moon, The Exorcist Believer, and Paw Patrol, The Mighty Movie. Napoleon takes over the 10th spot, dropping Saw X out of the rankings, but it's likely only going to be on this chart for a week, as Wonka and perhaps some of the other holiday releases should be bumping it off of this chart. I should note that last week, I prematurely declared the Eras Tour to be closed because at the time I was preparing the show, they had not reported grosses for the previous weekend, but it does appear it will continue to play throughout the holiday season, and it secured a release in China just this past week. So that was a premature declaration of closure uh, for the Eras Tour. It is still going to make a lot of money, but uh, it doesn't really change the fact that it's going to make a lot of money. However, uh, regrettably, I did make that error. So if you do see the Eras Tour in theaters and you're like, wait a minute, Dan said that was closed... Bit of a premature jump for me, and I should have guessed. You can't keep a good Taylor Swift down. So let's look at a few movies that were in the top five, and let's start with Wonka, which hit the top five not just of the weekend box office, but by a few other metrics. First of all, for Timothy Chalamet, this was his third best opening for a movie that he's appeared in. His biggest debut was back in 2014 with Interstellar, where he played the young version of Casey Affleck's character, the most obviously second favorite child in cinema history. Then we had 2021's Dune, which opened to $41 million back in October of 2021. That's especially impressive because it was, remember, part of that day and date project popcorn thing that HBO Max was doing for a year. Then we have Wonka, his third best debut to date at just over $39 million. 2019's Little Women is in fourth place at $16.7 million. And then that holiday classic Love the Coopers that came out back in 2015. You remember that movie, right? Boy, I don't I could have, that could honestly be a fictional movie for all I know. I mean, all movies are fictional, but you could have made that up and fooled me and congratulations. Anyway, $8.3 million back in November of 2015. Of course, Dune Part 2, likely, I mean, if it opens below $8.3 million, we're in real trouble, will be added to this chart. So a busy few months for Timothy Chalamet as he takes on that leading role here in Wonka and a potential franchise, depending on how this film does. Looking at openings domestically for movies based on Roald Dahl books, number 
number one and number two both belong to adaptations or some kind of a spin on the Willy Wonka character. Number one is Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, which opened a $56.1 million unadjusted for inflation back in the summer of 2005. Then we have Wonka in second place at $39 million, followed by the BFG back in summer 2016 at $18.7 million, 1996's Matilda in fourth place at 8.2, and then 1996 was a big fan for Roald Dahl fans because James and the Giant Peach also opened in April that year at $7.5 million. When we look at the domestic grosses for movies based on Roald Dahl works, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is at number one with $206.4 million domestic, followed by the BFG at $55.4 million, though that should soon be eclipsed by Wonka, which is already in third place at $39 million. Then we had Matilda at $33.4 million and James and the Giant Peach at $28.9 million. And when we look at worldwide grosses for movies based on Roald Dahl's work, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory banked nearly half a bill Back in 2005, it was a different movie-going time, and people really went to see that movie. Then we have the BFG at just under $200 million. Again, that should be eclipsed pretty soon by Wonka, which is at $152.2 million worldwide with the Christmas holiday ahead of it. Fantastic Mr. Fox is in fourth place at $46.1 million. And then we have Matilda, really just its domestic run there at $33.4 million. The Hunger Games The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes is an interesting movie from a box office standpoint because it's sort of like Schrodinger's success. It is both a success and a failure simultaneously. You could just put a box over it uh, and the whole thing would be complete. It is not a success when you look at it compared to the franchise as a whole. When you look at the domestic grosses for the other Hunger Games films, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes is still well behind Mockingjay Part 2 by about $140 million, so it's not going to measure up to those films domestically or worldwide. It's even further behind Mockingjay Part 2 by just under $400 million, so it is not particularly strong in comparison to the other Hunger Games films. However, it was produced for around $100 million reportedly. It's right around $300 million worldwide right now. So by that metric, it is a fairly solid, if not spectacular, box office performer. So kind of a mixed message or mixed lessons that you could take from this film. I think generally, given how movies are doing in this marketplace, they're probably pretty happy that it's performing as it is, although they also probably would have preferred on a studio level that you have a breakout hit, which I would not categorize the film as being. We've got a lot more to break down, but before we do, I want to thank the sponsors for this week's show. This video is brought to you by Babbel. Did you know that over 60% of Americans believe that the most useful second language in the U.S. is Spanish? I took it in high school, but that was so long ago, I've forgotten most of what I learned. But this holiday season, I'm giving myself the gift of new language lessons on Babbel, where you can start speaking a new language in just three weeks. Babbel is conversation-based learning built with science-backed tools like spaced repetition and interactive lessons created by real language language teachers and voiced by real native speakers to not just help you learn how to speak the language, but to get ready to have conversations in the real world. With over 10 million subscriptions sold, Babbel is real language learning for real conversations. And if you're serious about speaking another language, what Babbel can promise you are useful language skills along with the context, traditions, and culture that the language you're learning is grounded in. It's not always easy to learn with Babbel, but it is simple. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners and viewers to get you started right now. Get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only 
For people that watch or listen to the show at babble.com slash Dan, get 55% off at babble.com slash Dan. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash Dan. Rules and restrictions may apply. This video is brought to you by Stamps.com. We are in the final crunch of the holiday shopping season, and it's very possible that you still have some last-minute gifts to send. Why stress out with the holiday traffic and long lines at the post office when you can send your packages right from home with Stamps.com? Stamps.com is your own personal post office. All you need is a computer and printer, and you can leave that scale off that letter to Santa because they'll provide one for you. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of all of your orders and schedule package pickups on the go. Stamps.com has been helping customers save time and money during the holidays for 25 years with easy access to USPS and UPS services and premium rates for all of your postage needs. Why make the holidays even harder when Stamps.com can help share the workload? And if you're looking for the perfect gift for somebody who sends a lot of stuff, maybe a small business owner, Stamps.com is a great resource. They provide carrier discounts up to 85 4% off USPS and UPS rates, and Stamps.com automatically tells you your cheapest and fastest shipping options. Give your business the gift of Stamps.com so your mailing and shipping is covered this holiday season. Sign up with promo code MERL for a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to Stamps.com, click the microphone at the top of the page, and enter code MERL. Another movie you could categorize as a hit is The Boy and the Heron, which in just two weekends has become the highest grossing Studio Ghibli film domestically ever at $23.48 million. That bumps down into second place, a movie that got me into some trouble last week, which is The Secret World of, I believe, Arietti. I pronounced it Ariety last week, and I was immediately corrected by many people uh, that I had gotten it wrong. Uh, listen, I I do my best. Uh, honestly, it's I, I probably could have taken some time. Last week was a big show to prep, and I just kind of rolled with it. Uh, so yes, I got the pronunciation wrong. Uh, a simple request, though. I, listen, I get things wrong from time to time. I don't mind being called out on it. I like to be able to correct myself. But if you're going to correct me on something, maybe just do a quick glance to see if somebody else has said it. Because, listen, you know, I get a correction. I get it. I did it wrong. Uh, by the 15th or 16th correction, it's like, did people take anything away from this other than the fact that I mispronounced uh, the name of an anime film based on the book The Borrowers? So, uh, yes, my mistake on the pronunciation there. Um, if I didn't get it right this time, hopefully it's at least closer. Uh, third place all-time domestically for Studio Ghibli is Ponyo at $15 million, followed by Spirited Away and The Wind Rises, so a domestic win there for Studio Ghibli. Also, talking about Godzilla Minus One, I mentioned the fact that I think it, it is successful on the scale, especially when we look at international films. It's right around $35 million right now. We'll see how it does over the holiday season, but if it banks about $15 million more, which I think would be a bit of a tall order, it could could become one of the five highest grossing international films of all time domestically, at least as far as my research will take me. It's kind of hard to find these numbers. The numbers that I found indicate that the highest grossing international film domestically is Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon by far with over $128 million. That was a phenomenal success back at the turn of the century. Then we have Life is Beautiful at $57.2 million, a multiple Oscar award-winning film. Hero at $53.7 million. It's sort of coasted in based off of the success of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Then we had the Best Picture winner Parasite in fourth place at $53.3 million and Demon Slayer the Movie Mugen Train at $40. 
49.8 million. And if Godzilla Minus One can get up to that $50 million barrier, it would be one of the five highest grossing international films of all time. But even if it doesn't, and like I said, it would be a bit difficult for it to do, although not impossible, it is still a really impressive international film, especially given today's marketplace. Let's look at the top per theater averages for this past weekend. At number one is American Fiction, which is in contention for many awards and is an Academy Award hopeful. It stars Jeffrey Wright, and it brought in just over $32,000 playing in seven theaters. Also opening in limited release in just four theaters is The Zone of Interest, which I watched last week. It is a haunting film, uh, but also uh, an incredibly well-made film. It brought in $31,198, so just behind American Fiction. Poor Things and its expansion to 82 theaters remains in third place as far as per theater averages at $15,637 per theater. Wonka comes in in fourth place. It brought in $9,280 in each of its 4,203 theaters, a very wide release for Wonka. And then the Vim Vendors documentary Anselm playing in two theaters comes in fifth place at $8,750 per theater. Looking at films in limited release, this would be 1,000 theaters or fewer. Poor Things leads the way at just over $1.2 million, followed by Animal, playing in 422 theaters at $879,000. The 17 tour follow to Japan, a live stream of a concert from the K-pop band Seventeen, brought in $733,000 over the weekend in 468 theaters. Then we had American Fiction, which totaled $224,469 in seven theaters. And Eileen, which has been doing well in limited release, playing in 558 theaters, brings in $210,546. Looking at the top 10 grocers for 2023 in limited release, so this is all tickets sold since January 1st. There's no real change from last week, but I wanted to take a look at these movies once again. Patan is number one, followed by Javon, and then Animal, which is really only about $1.5 million away from taking that number two spot. Past Lives is in fourth place at $10.95 million. It's also racking up a lot of nominations, followed by Radical in fifth place, the re-release of Return of the Jedi in sixth place, A Man Called Otto in seventh, Rocky Alrani in eighth place, The Holdovers in ninth, and Bottoms in ninth. We will see if any movies have enough heat to join this top 10, or if this is our final list for the year. And when we talk about these movies that are playing in limited release, many of them can be found in the independent theaters around the country and around the world, theaters that are not part of a big chain and often are the ones that take the risk of showing indie cinema or experimental cinema or whatever. I've been spotlighting an indie theater here on the show for the past several months. Some of them I've been to, some of them I've not been to, and I'm actually very happy to be able to spotlight the theater I'm talking about this week because it's actually my favorite movie theater in LA. It was closed since 2020 until about a month ago, and I can now finally talk about it here on the show. It is the Vista Theater in Los Angeles, which was built in 1923, has remained open for a century, although with a slight detour into the adult film exhibition industry before the theater was renovated back in the 1980s. For years, this was my neighborhood theater, a single screen cinema with ample legroom, two trailers max in front of each movie, and a devotion to showing both blockbuster and indie films. And on most weekends at the Vista, you will be greeted at the door by the theater manager, Victor, the epic manager, who will dress up for a lot of the bigger movies and some of the smaller ones too. He's just a delightful guy. I made a commitment in 2013, so 10 years ago, it's hard to believe, to see every single movie that the Vista played, and I did. I saw most of the movies that played there in 2014, 2015, 2016, 
2015 until I moved out of the neighborhood. But Mara and I would still go back when we could because it's just such a great theater and a beautiful theater. In 2020, the Vista closed along with every other movie theater in LA due to the COVID-19 pandemic, but it stayed closed after other theaters opened. There were always whispers that perhaps the theater could shut down, but it was bought by one of LA's premier cinephiles, Quentin Tarantino, also the owner of the New Beverly, a repertory theater elsewhere in Los Angeles. The Vista is featured in True Romance, a movie that Tarantino wrote, and it was the first film that was played when the theater reopened last month, followed by Eli Ross' Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving was a trailer that was included in the movie Grindhouse many years ago, almost 20 years ago. I saw that movie on opening night, at the Vista, and then it becomes the first movie that the Vista plays when it reopens. It really is tied into the film culture in LA in a way that is, I think, essential to the city. The Vista is open again, currently playing the zone of interest, remodeled with new sound, a new concession stand, but the same historic interior and marquee and some of the lowest first-run prices in town. And yes, I've heard that Victor, the Epic Manager, is back too. I can't wait to return to the Vista the next time I'm in LA. You can see the zone of interest there now on 35mm. The Vista will now only be projecting movies on 35 and 70mm. That is a QT house rule. And you can find out more about the theater at Vista Theater theaterhollywood.com. If you see Victor there, tell him Dan sent you. He won't know who I am, but I am so excited that the Vista is back up and running. Before we wrap things up, let's take a look at a weekend in box office history, and we are going back nearly 40 years to the weekend of December 14th through the 16th, 1984, the 50th weekend of the year. We got a trailer for the new Beverly Hills cop movie, Axel F., this past week, while the original Beverly Hills Cop movie was at the top of the box office 39 years ago, with $11.5 million in its second weekend, a 24.3% drop. It had banked $36.4 million up to that point and ended with a domestic total at $234.7 million. It was an absolute phenomenon, that movie. In second place was the original version of the film saga that is now unfolding, David Lynch's Dune, which opened with just over $6 million and had a domestic total at around $30.9 million. The world was not ready for Dune. The world is still not ready for this version of Dune. In third place was the Clint Eastwood, Burt Reynolds film City Heat in its second week of release, which dropped 31.6% for a $4.3 million total. Imagine having two of the biggest movie stars in the world, Clint Eastwood and Burt Reynolds, in your crime comedy movie, and then just getting wiped off the map by the new generation and Beverly Hills Cop. Its final gross was at around $38.3 million. In fourth place was the second weekend of 2010, the year we made contact. Yes, there was a sequel to 2001 A Space Odyssey. It dropped 44% in its second weekend for a $4.1 million weekend total. Its final domestic was right around $40 million. And in fifth place was Francis Ford Coppola's The Cotton Club, a huge financial disappointment. It opened to $2.9 million for a final domestic of $25.9 million. Of course, we don't like to just leave those numbers where they are. We like to see what they would look like in today's dollars and adjust for inflation. And when we hit that inflation button, we see that Beverly Hills Cop enjoyed a second weekend equivalent to $34 million in today's money for a running total of $107.8 million. And that is not a typo. Beverly Hills Cop made close to 700 
$1,500 million adjusted for inflation. One of the most successful movies of all time. Dune opens to an adjusted $17.8 million for a final total at $91.3 million. Then we have City Heat at $12.7 million. It actually finished over $100 million adjusted for inflation, $113.3 million. 2010, the year we make contact, is at $12.2 million. It finished at about $119 million domestically. And then we have the Cotton Club at an $8.58 million adjusted opening. Its final adjusted gross domestically is $76.6 million. So this upcoming weekend, we have a variety of different movies opening. For the three-day Friday, Saturday, Sunday weekend, we have Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. We have Anyone But You. We have Migration. And then opening on Monday for Christmas Day, we have even more movies like The Color Purple, Ferrari, and The Boys in the Boat. Of course, a lot of ink is going to go to Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom, which is officially the last film of the DCEU. And when we look at the DCEU's history as far as opening weekend, it will need to beat $16.7 million over Friday, Saturday, and Sunday to not be the lowest grossing film in DCEU history. That would be Wonder Woman 1984, which was, of course, heavily affected by the COVID-19 pandemic, was not in many theaters, and was also available to watch at home. I, honestly, the way that things have been going, we'll see. I'm not going to put Aquaman in the Lost Kingdom over that mark. It may open above that. It may not. The pre-sale figures reportedly have not been looking good. And so we will see where Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom lands, along with the other films over the weekend, and then the films that open on Christmas Day, as I said, on next week's charts, which will probably be a little bit later on in the week. And that wraps things up for this week's show. There are some reviews to watch here on the channel. The Color Purple came out this morning when the embargo dropped. You can check out that review now. I'll be dropping a review of Maestro probably tomorrow. And then I've got the best and the worst of the year that I'm working on. That'll be out next week and some other stuff, including a 2024 preview. So the holidays are coming up, but the work never stops here on the channel. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much to our sponsors, Stan and Babbel. Check out the description below for more about them. And I appreciate you spending part of your day here with me. Until next time, stay safe and I'll see you then. Bye.